Hey, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism with Matt Kennedy, and I love buying my comics at Meltdown Comics, and I know you do too, so I'm going to give you a little gift, and that gift is a discount. So if you use my password, which is going to be Pod Sequentialism Rocks, to any of the employees that work here at checkout, they will give you a discount on your comics. How much is that discount? 11%. Can't beat that with a bag of hammers. Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy. And I uh, just want to remind everybody that we do tape live at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles. So if you hear anything in the background, it's because there's something going on. Like a comedy show. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with that lead in, I want to welcome my guest, um, Jeff. We'll, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things today because I think there's a, a lot of things that, that we need to talk about. But um, first and foremost, um, and I'll give you a proper introduction in a second, but uh, one thing that we talked about on the last episode of the show was professional wrestling and um, the fact that professional wrestling is a, a very rigorous, um, just time-consuming and emotional business. And, um, and the gist of of why we did that show is that I don't think that a lot of people who would be looking for jobs as writers and producers realize that people write all the content that's in that show. And since a lot of people have for years, and I think this is an incredibly derogatory term to both portions of the equation, um, that wrestling has been called a soap opera for morons. And I think that, that, that that's used to denigrate both wrestling and soap operas. That, um, you know, that not necessarily the acting in, in wrestling is particularly great, but that the physicality of it mixed with um, this live theater experience makes it very difficult to pull off. And the same is true of soap operas. And I don't think that most people understand exactly how difficult it is to pull together um, something as complicated as a scripted daily show and how often those scripts tend to change. And so um, I said I would introduce you properly. So my friend Jeffrey Vincent Paris, we're going um, to dive right into it, I think. Um, I, the reason that I know Jeff is that uh, we both worked on a project that I produced, uh, Temple of Art, which was a collection of photographs of artists by the photographer Alan Amato, and those artists would then do their own artwork on top of his portrait of them, making it kind of a self-portrait once removed. And um, I had never met Jeff before, had um, no idea that he was an actor at the time that I met him. I thought he was just a painter. And um, as we started to hang out and kind of discuss career stuff, um, I realized that he was on General Hospital at the time, and um, has had two like major um, I guess story arc changing um, appearances on the show, but um, and also in that space you had filmed the final episode of Mad Men and play arguably the second most important character in that episode. <laughs> yeah. So um, for the uninitiated, Jeff was the kind of spiritual guru that um, you know the lead character goes to at the very end of the show and it becomes the inspiration for the the coca-cola campaign of 1970 the i'd like to buy a world of coke um and is kind of sets the mood for 
the perfect end really to that series and it's talking seven year series um, one of the most watched finales um, in television history and so I guess I'll just uh, I'll, I'll ask you you know how did you come to do this and then we'll we'll work into what's involved in these things great so you, you came here from Indianapolis yeah yeah. And that, what year did you come out here? 93. 93. Yeah. So you got here just a little bit after me. We're the same age. Yeah. I beat you by like two years. Yeah. So it's funny. 31, just... two. Oh, we're both 12. <laughs> we're both 12 years old. Sorry. Yes, it's time travel. But um, the um, the funny thing is we were talking before this that um, when I first came out, it was I caught the tail end of the Sunset Strip and I was, you know, like 117 pounds soaking wet with long hair and I looked like yeah. a little mini Ax- Axl Rose. And you actually come out here from Axl Rose territory. Yeah. Yeah, you know he's from Bloomington, and um, not too far from Indianapolis. Yeah. So, um, what what was the impetus? Acting. I mean, I came out here with seven hundred dollars and a Nissan Sentra mm-hmm. and a packed car, and I knew three people here. Yeah. And those three people let me stay at their place for a total of about two and a half months. Yeah. Just couch surfing. Yep. And in that time, I was able to find an agent and a job. That's amazing. And in that first, before the $700 ran out, I had this job, and then I got um, I got some extra work on a, on a commercial mm-hmm. that then sort of, it was, the, it was the, within three months. And at the time, it was one of these commercials that uh, don't really happen much anymore, but it shot over a period of like two weeks. Wow. Yeah. And so I made a lot of money back then. Yeah, just uh, the union scale wage for two weeks of work, and you're probably working over weekends too. Yeah, yeah, it was great. You're getting golden yeah. time, at least four days in that, and yeah. I mean, in time and a half before the golden time. Oh my gosh, well, what commercial was it? It was a Pepsi commercial. Oh, soft drinks. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I was... Taft Hartley, which is I, he became a must join from not being in join. the union, right? Yeah. And well, no, when I came, when I first moved out, I was Taft Hartley. So when I got this Pepsi commercial, I was then a must join, right? But it was enough money to join the union, and so it was like this. It's kind of this. It felt like a, a sign, yeah. That okay, you made the right choice. Now yeah. get to work. Oh, instant validation. Instant I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. So the oh, uh, you know, and that quickly went away. <laughs> yeah. Right. So this is. Again, very, very funny because it, it mirrors a lot of my own experience in that I, you know, I was, I only beat you out here by a couple of years and I came up for music mm-hmm. and I got signed. I was in a band, got signed really quickly. We didn't record a single note of music before the entire thing imploded. Um, and uh, we had recordings that were, you know, recordings that we made that really weren't funded by any kind of uh, contract. But um, so I was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's great. I, I crashed my car in the snow and I'm like, I'm out of here. You know, and like within six months, I had saved up probably $900 or something. I think it was actually 2000 And I think that the moving expense, um, by the time that was all figured out and calculated, that I had like a pretty solid 900 bucks in the bank. Wow. But I mean, in 1991, two and three, the rent in California was nothing, nothing. especially in Los Angeles. Yeah. I, um, I got in touch with a friend who had moved out here a couple years earlier mm-hmm. and we knew each other. This guy who was a mu- musician at the time, Josh McQueen. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I called him and said, hey, man, I'm looking for a place to stay. And he was, too, at the time. Mm-hmm. So we found a place in North Hollywood. Everybody winds up there at right? some point. For, it was a one-bedroom for 480 bucks yeah. split. Yeah. 
and we, so we put like brother beds in the one bedroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, mirroring nothing. my experience, yeah. you know, that I moved out here with my best friend from kindergarten, a kid named Todd Harvey, and um, who's a much better musician than I was, and he found a band really quickly. And um, we couldn't find jobs when we first got out here, but we knew a girl who had gone to high school with us. Mm-hmm. And um, so we moved into her place, the Hollywood Studio Apartments over on Wilcox, which was a dump <laughs> at the time. It was the same building that um, Rick um, Rick James burned the girl with a crack oh, pipe wow. in. And it wow. might, I think we were actually directly downstairs from that exact apartment, as the, as the legend goes. I'm sure everybody who lived there said the same thing. No matter what apartment they were in, and um, and you see, Weird Al Yankovic would come in. He had a friend who lived there, which was kind of great. But it was that weird time in in Hollywood where, you know, we basically hopped out of the car, and I needed to go to the hospital because I got like bitten by mosquitoes, and I got you know, I scratched it and got infected, and I was wow. in bad shape. And I'm walking down the street from Sunset at Mel's Dine or Mel's Drive-In or Ed DeBevix or whatever it was, uh, down to Cedar sinai and I see Kyle McLaughlin with um, Linda Evangelista on the corner at like 4.30 in the afternoon, like walking into some some restaurant that was in the corner. And I'm kind of like, oh, hey, I know you. And he could not get away from me fast enough. <laughs> like, I must you know, I've been in a car for like four or five days. Probably looked like a homeless guy. I had no idea that there was, you know, a big problem with that. But yeah, you know, we we found a place where I think the rent in that one bedroom was something like, you know, because it was Hollywood, maybe it was five twenty-five. Yeah, nothing. You know, and so we got the bedroom. I think we were paying the bulk of the rent. And even when we moved out of that apartment and into another kind of one-bedroom situation, it was not that expensive. And by the time I think it was my third or fourth place I lived in, I got a room in a house, and I was paying like two hundred and sixty dollars. Mm a month to live in that wow. in my own room yeah and that pretty much held up like for a really long time and then when I moved to Glendale it was $400 a month to have a gigantic place you know like the basement of a mansion up in the hills near Art Center and that kind of tipped over the hey you know I've, I've been working at the gallery at that point and mm-hmm. I'm right over the hill from Art Center I can go take classes but um, that's really not possible anymore no at least not in Los Angeles <clears throat> well except for the place I just moved out of <laughs> oh, rent I was control. there for 17 That's years. That's right. You were rent controlled right down the street right from here. Right down the street. And that yeah. was an upstairs, downstairs, like great little nook place. It was amazing. Yeah, back off. Of, yeah, you, you went there. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, and it served me very well for many, many, many years. And I mean, the only reason I left is I just realized, I mean, I spent most of my adult life living in the same place. Yeah. And I had girlfriends at the time where, so basically had... Splitting when, that space. Yeah, splitting the space between another space. Those who, who are unfamiliar, this space was jammed with paintings yeah. that he had painted. I mean, you had a huge inventory of paintings, yeah. which occupied a lot of that space too. Yeah, yeah. There was a, well, there was, there was a little room that was just piled from floor to ceiling with yeah. paintings and, and all on the walls and but it still didn't feel cramped I, right. I no, never and I never felt cramped it was well there's a lot of natural light when it yeah happens. yeah but I I do remember the exact moment it was I, I had just gotten out of yet another long term relationship and yeah. woke up in that place going wow I'm still here yeah. I gotta get the fuck out of here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're here. You're you're you've come from Indiana. Yeah. And you had done acting in Indiana, obviously, because you got Taff Hartley when you came out. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I 
I did a play in high school, and then I went to uh, Ball State University for two and a half years and studied studied theater. Mm. I minored in theater, so I didn't have to take all the classes that didn't interest me. Right, right. And I majored in general studies, so I could take the classes that interested me. You were just like me. You know, <laughs> I, I just walk into a classroom and sit down. Yeah. I wouldn't even be enrolled in the school. Oh, wow, nice. Not sit there and learn until they were like, hey, you know, how come you're not on my roster? Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm just auditing the class. Yeah. And they get wise and then be like, hey, this dude's been auditing like 15 classes mm. in the last two years. <laughs> but you learn how to do stuff. Yeah. Well, the the... You're out here, and you you're going on auditions. You get you get a um, a role pretty quickly. You get this commercial, and it, it's a huge shooting schedule. You get a lot of change in your pocket. That was nice, but you know, and at the time, it was I think I I think off that commercial, I made two thousand dollars, and at that time, it lasted me for a very long time. People who have seen Knocked Up <clears throat> laugh, you know, at the fact that this girl who works for E! Entertainment ends up dating this guy and he's like, oh yeah, you know, I've still got like, you know, you know, $300 and I'm pretty sure that's going to last a really, really long time. And, you know, you look at that, you're like, that's completely impossible. What, in the, in what the, is this? Knocked in, Up? Yeah, the movie Knocked oh, Up. Oh, gotcha. With uh, Seth Rogen. And, um, and of course, if that had, when that script was probably written, yeah. In the time that it took to get produced, <laughs> it, it probably was still true. It was probably from the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so I I also though did the whole waitering thing yep. and uh, bartending and Me too. catering and the yeah. whole deal. And I was even the jerk who you know hounded people f- to go see free movies. Those you know and have I to love take a those survey. people though. I'm never mad to see those guys. Oh great. I, I had a yeah, I had a few people that were kind of mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want your movie, I man. I don't want to see an Eddie <laughs> <Murphy> movie. <laughs> But no, I, I mean, I, yeah, I did a lot of odd jobs, and then, um, but and would occasionally book a little something just to give me just enough of a breadcrumb to keep me on the that path. That encouragement, yeah. And actually, the very first speaking role I had, ironically, was on a soap opera. Yeah, it was an under five on Days of Our Lives, which you did like ten episodes. Well, five that episodes. was much later then. Oh, okay. So the so the very first very first speaking role was this under five and I just did one episode Mm -hmm. and then yeah I guess 10 years maybe even 13 years later I did about seven episodes on there as two different cops my Massachusetts accent was so thick when I first came out here and by the time I I even thought about acting and it wasn't something that I, I wanted to necessarily do mm-hmm. but I was you know like it's a Lana Turner moment you know where I went with a friend and and they were going to do something and I was bored and I signed in and I got it but um, I think it was probably three in where I got a speaking role and it was a commercial and they called me back into loop dialogue mm-hmm. and they, I had to do it for like an hour mm-hmm. because my accent was so thick and they wanted and I sp- I spoke so quickly it took me years to kind of lose it and now I'm sort of not shy about it so I, I let my accent kind of poke I never back hear in. your accent yeah I think it's a, it's a strange amalgamation if, if I'm if I get a phone call from my sister forget about it yeah. you know it's like last week Dan Madigan and I yeah. both grew up like 40 minutes I away from each other still didn't hear a whole lot of it coming out though uh, I mean I heard it at him of course yeah <laughs> Right up the boat. It might have been that we got it out of the way before it started taping. But, um, you know, that there's there's kind of something amazing about that type of... I mean, we can look at it as luck. We can look at it as fortune. But that... I see it a lot in artists. And, um, and I... 
I'm speaking specifically about painters and, and sculptors, that when, if they don't sell something and they lose the encouragement, they will absolutely stop creating. Yeah. And it makes, of course, total sense that someone who is an artist by way of performance is going to, if not allowed the chance to, to get that kind of... And not even great encouragement. Not you don't have to even be good. Just a little bit of a validation. Yeah, go, just okay, a little validation. Keep going, keep going. And people, you know, I've seen people like Alec Baldwin um, say, you know, well, if you want to act, you can always act. You can go to dinner theater. You can do this thing, the other thing. Not in Hollywood. Maybe you can yeah. do that in New York. But um, there's a long line of people waiting to, you know, stand off stage, you know, holding the feather duster. Um, and and there's just too many people that want those positions out here. And that's always been the case. Yeah. But um, by the time you do start really kind of working again, the thing that really puts you on the map is Cupid. Well, that was the that was the kind of the first thing that yeah. that I felt like I started getting a footing, and that was ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. And so that's uh, Cupid was a TV show starring Jeremy Piven mm-hmm. and Paula and, Marshall and Paula Marshall, and it was produced by Rob Rob Thomas. Rob Thomas, written and produced, and and that's somebody that um, you'd be able to work with again and again. Yeah, I've worked with every. Every show he's had on the air, I've done a guest star on, except for the re- the reviving of Cupid. Right, right. Which you which you read for the Cupid. Character. Yeah, I read yeah. for Cupid. And in between, I mean, there's a lot of great genre stuff. So it's yeah. you know, I'm sure that some of my audience probably was a little afraid when I opened it with, "Hey, we're going to have a soap opera star on." You know that um, they're like, "Oh, what's this going to be about?" Be very afraid. But the um, you know, Millennium, mm-hmm. which was the um, the the and hour which, after the X Files, in which I. I also got to do this the uh, series finale of Millennium. Yeah, yeah. I was on amazing. the very last episode of that. So you're either you're either extremely lucky or you're, or you're the kiss of death. Exactly. No, but they know. They, they, they know by the time. <laughs> they don't want that to get out. By the time they're casting the last episode, they know it's the last episode. Yeah. And um, you know, you've also done. Um, let me see. After Millennium genre stuff, there would be Jericho. Yeah, that was awesome. And I had a couple um, episodes of Jericho. That's a two episode thing. Yeah, and. Um, there was well of course there's I Zombie but there's also Castle yeah you know and Nathan Fillion a, a favorite of everybody here you know at Meltdown at the Nerdist and um but I Zombie of course is directly from comics um and very popular with its core demographic in a similar way to Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah so it's pretty funny that I expect at a certain point there will be I Zombie conventions and someone will call you and be like you're in this one episode no matter what how big or small the role you'll be at a table you know signing autographs (laughs) for charity it'll happen it's like Star Trek great bring it (laughs) I can't wait for that Um, and and in between um, some of this is General Hospital yeah. And so, and congratulations because, what was it, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Daytime Emmy Awards? Oh, yeah. They, the show picked the show up. Won, a, won nine of them, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of nominations. I think nine wins for, um, I should know all. You can't be well, expected to. Yeah, well, let's. <laughs> but there's there's a um, obviously General Hospital has been consistently popular. I think that you know going back to the whole Luke and Laura thing, which really kicked in yeah. the number one position. They've been on the air for 54 years. And see, most people, I think, um, 
it depends on what house you grew up in, like what show your mom watched. Yeah, or your and grandma. So, yeah, and so... A lot of it's handed down. We were an ABC house. Mm. So I remember all those early plot lines for, um, you know, Days of Our Lives, um, General Hospital, um, and um, I can't remember which one was Pine Valley. And Anyways, that, like that, that whole block of programming, mm. I grew up watching. And so when I came out here in the early 90s, people, once I started acting... 94, I guess, 95, um, maybe 93, that a lot of my friends like, oh, you should totally go out for General Hospital. I'm like, I'm five foot four. You know, it's like, there's not much for me on General Hospital. I don't look like your classic, like, good-looking guy. Yeah, but that's the thing about General Hospital is, mm-hmm. is and soaps in general, I mean, I know that, like we were talking, they get a certain rap right off the bat. You think of a certain thing, but if, if you look at General Hospital, mm-hmm. for instance, there's all kinds of different characters on yeah. there and all shapes and sizes and ages and and it's almost like I feel like soaps in a lot of ways def- defy convention as far as casting goes you can certainly get away with a lot more in daytime on a daily in limited capacity than you can get away with at all in primetime nighttime programming yeah and that's always been the case and that's why people would often accuse the daytime programming of being sexier than the after, mm-hmm. you know, nine o'clock, ten o'clock programming that's on at night, and for a very long time, it had a, a bit more of a salacious um, bend to it. But also, I, I will say this: that back in 1993, it wasn't what it was, you know, in oh. the 2000s. But um, but I did start watching the shows because a lot of my friends watched the shows because they'd be on it, oh. you know, occasionally they'd have like a walk on, like, hey, that's me over, in the, you know. I had friends that would be in background for a year different people all the time you know in the hospital you know in, yeah. in the cafeteria pretending to talk to each other across the table yeah and it was that's incredibly still, lucrative happens. work yeah you know and i remember a, a friend of mine who i used to see at casting calls a lot um but who had started doing extra work and of course a lot of ages like don't do any extra work once you once you do feature he's like i missed my insurance by 60 dollars last year Mm. when they double the insurance prices. Now, you, you mentioned it, so we're going to talk about it. You made enough money on that first job to join the union, and right. that was an issue because the union was about $1,400 back then. Yeah. I remember paying that check yeah, me and too. not being happy about it. And I was very happy to pay it. <laughs> I didn't understand the differences, and I had a lot of friends who did independent films. I'm like, oh, now mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to be working on these non-union projects, and so I'd... I'd end up being like a boom mic guy or something, and, and later on we found ways to get me in. But um, in that time frame, that and also before the two unions merged, mm-hmm. so there was the SAG after thing, which happened in the late '90s, early 2000s, I think, where there was all this discussion about whether the two unions should should combine. And after his like membership fee was like $250 and I think their annual membership was like 60 and so everybody in SAG was kind of like well hey you know we've been paying a lot more we should get a different benefit and um, but the power that the the two unions would have together was was considered a bigger thing. I still don't think I'll say this, and um, I'll probably catch a lot of heat for it. I don't think that the Screen Actors Guild is one of the better unions out there. Um, and I, I I know people who work for the Writers Guild who have been fighting for overseas royalty checks for years. Mm-hmm. But compared for the amount of money that goes through that union, they should be kind of ruling the world. 
I mean, I guess they did produce yeah. one president. <laughs> yeah, Ronald Reagan, sure. who was president of the Screen Actors Guild, but um, that I don't think that they necessarily always do have actors' best interests at heart. I've been on sets where the union rep was eating M&Ms while the, um, the director asked me if it was okay for me to move a moving chainsaw to my face and blow um, sawdust off the top of the saw. And I looked over, like, you know, with eyes like, come on, dude, step in here and prevent this from happening. And he was like, you okay with that? And I didn't want to be, like, the, the guy that says no because it's, like, my second spot. Right. And um, finally I was like, well, wait a minute. If the saw blade is running, there will be no sawdust. And they were like, oh, yeah, scrap that idea. And I was just like... <sighs> <laughs> you know, like, and that's always, I think, been a problem is that I, I don't think that it's, it doesn't protect its members as much as even, say, the baseball players union does. Mm-hmm. But granted, the baseball players union takes a hell of a lot more money out of people. Yeah. But I'll get off my soapbox there about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it it is nice though that you know, actors have unionized. I mean, there's yeah. a time, and it would still, and it, and it's unfortunately a lot of it is kind of going back to some of this where. Because of reality shows, everybody wants to be famous. Right. So they're going. They they are. There's so many non-union projects cropping yeah. up, and unfortunately, a lot of people aren't giving any focus to the craft of acting, and they're just saying, "Oh, if this person has a bubbly personality or a fun personality, they're." they can be an actor and that's not the case I mean you're gonna you can still make movies like that but they're not gonna be the, the ones that stick with you or move, shape our lives I like think any intelligent in person is gonna agree with what you're saying and it's basically that untrained actors make bad movies and um they make bad television and people watch it I think because it's on right. you know it's like which is a shame because we've got about two million channels that you can watch but um, people will still just turn on a television set and sit down and maybe they, they flip through you know if you're a guy you flip through the channels if you're a girl you want to kill the guy that's going through the channels but the um, that there are a lot of people that just watch reality shows because they're on and because they get talked about and it becomes kind of like this own its own machine of publicity I mean we've got a reality show star who has ostensibly won the nomination for the Republicans for for the President of the United States. And this is really all boils down to him being created because a production company wanted to spend less money on a television show that would get an advertiser that funded it. Right. And when we talk about soap operas, the reason they're called soap operas is because they were daily live, um, live recorded television shows whose advertisers were generally detergent. Right. And housewives would watch them while they were doing their laundry. Right. You know, that they would kind of pay attention and not pay attention. How do you get the woman back into the room when she's doing the laundry to watch the commercial that's going to come up with the swelling music and the crazy melodrama? so that they're glued to the television set and of course the laundry gets done late but the, um, this became I guess the, you know, the mold for soap operas but what's amazing about that and the thing that I promised that we would talk about is mostly it's one take right. one take yeah. and it's a daily show so actors are getting scripts sometimes four days in advance, five days in advance and if you've got a lot of lines I mean, you're busy shooting. Yeah, because if you're backed up on scripts, if you're shooting, say, you know, 
five days out of that week. Yeah. That's five scripts that you're, you know, you've been studying over the weekend and when you're not shooting and on your downtime. And I imagine, and they're probably shooting multiple things. Multiple Multiple episodes. locations at the same time, multiple episodes at the not same time. Not multiple locations because it's all in one studio. Oh, okay. Interesting. So there's not like a first, not a second unit director. A lot of times there are two directors during the day. Right. Or three, actually. Right. And they're shooting separate scenes. Yeah. So, yeah, in that sense. And sometimes you're shooting two episodes in a day. Yeah. I've shot as up as much as four episodes in one day. It's like a game show. Yeah. You know, you watch the old match game, and as you get deeper into the week, because they would do... <clears throat> one week of shows per day so they do five shows a day okay. you can tell that they started drinking at lunch so at the end of Wednesday's episode they're still okay by Thursday Wait, what is what is this match game the 70s television show the game show <laughs> you lost me on that one. Oh my gosh oh yeah it's great it's great 70s show yeah. where you could tell they were getting liquored up you know after lunch and by Friday the shows were crazy hmm. and sometimes they would have to um, default to a best of match game show on Friday because everybody was so tanked they'd start just like letting stuff slip and they couldn't edit the stuff out and it was inappropriate and of course it wasn't like it is today where you just like buzz a word right they would cut the whole scene but the um with five episodes yeah in a but day, the thing is though I mean you, you can't as a viewer you can't tell that the this these Actors and these right. crew people have been shooting this much in one day. That's true. In a soap opera, you can't tell that there's that much fatigue going on, that there's, that people are being that overworked. And I think that's why people are, I think, remiss to credit some of the performances that come across and and why some people have given such a bad rap to, to soaps over the years. We're talking about this, I think, I guess it might have been a couple months ago where um, you had shot a scene with Finola. Yeah. And you saw her give this amazing performance that if it wasn't in a soap... Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I've seen this on a number of occasions yeah. from Finola Hughes, from uh, Nancy Lee Graham, from a number of the actors on this show. Mm -hmm. I'm watching these performances, and if that same performance were in a movie that's in a theater, mm -hmm. it would be Academy Award worthy. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's it's just like any other art form, any other thing that you do on a consistent basis. You 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 can just reach these levels that you can't if you're doing it sporadically. Right. These these actors, especially the ones that have been on for years, are so honed. Their yeah. machine is a fine oiled machine. Yeah. And. It's it's amazing some of the things that they can do. I think a lot of I think sometimes the bad rap comes from people will people will tune in and watch a scene completely out of context. Yeah. And they don't understand that, like the regular viewers understand what the viewers love it. Yeah, what's led up yeah. to this scene being so high drama and emotional because they they've watched during the days when it wasn't as high drama yeah. and emotional and they've seen this evolution of these characters come to this point where it is 
insanity. Yeah. And so if you're just tuning in and seeing this insanity and you have no idea how it got there, you're going to be like, whoa, this is too much. Oh, what are these sets? They, 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 it looks like theater. And it, it kind of is. You know? well, the, the biggest thing, and I remember seeing this <clears throat> in the 80s, and, um, and I think it was the first time that we realized that... Um, that things were being so rushed. I mean, in, in the 70s, my sisters would come home from school, and um, we had two bedrooms that were in the basement of the house that we grew up in, and they would pull the shades and make it nice and dark and watch Dark Shadows. Mm. And sometimes, somebody, you got like Barnabas Collins, you know, you've got this, this amazing stately vampire, and he walks by a prop tree, and his cape catches on the tree and drags it on wheels into the next scene and it's it's absurd it's ridiculous mm-hmm. and yet nobody breaks character no one like lets it out you know and which has got to be mortifying for the actor to be working under such cheap circumstances but it's not like I'm not going to say the production values haven't haven't gone up over the years it's it certainly changed there's a lot more money involved but the situations haven't changed so much actually there's not a lot more money involved there's just a lot more technology involved right right that's there's actually there's a lot less money involved these days in soap operas right back in the 80s and in the 90s that's the they peak. were they were balling yeah and then these other higher budget television shows started coming out and people started expecting to see a feature film like major studio feature film uh, quality in in TV and I mean we have that now yeah and so it it's a lot of people have I think trouble shifting genre mm-hmm they're not taking it all into account that this isn't supposed to look like those right those uh, HBO series it's 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 not it's 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 like going to theater i think that the kids who and are some now of, some of the some of the the fun in it and the creativity in it is is the audience participating yeah. in that sense of theater and yeah. they they it's it's almost a sus- suspension of disbelief yeah well it's a constant suspension of disbelief but it's and you have to love that but the i think that the um you know kids today are growing up watching like vice news which is shot like like Godfrey Reggio or you know like these amazing cinematographers like the technology yeah. and the camera work and their ability to travel to exotic places and it to be and to look like film and to look amazing I just you know that's probably going to become the standard and people are going to go back and look at news footage you know like there'll be a movie that takes place in the 2000s mm-hmm. and someone will be watching TV and they'll be like you know is that what that what the news used to look like you know and I mean now the news of course is high def and, Jap- and Japanese television started as high def and it kind of pushed the standard up and and um, I think that what it what it what it boils down to and in the context of what you're saying about you know the, the people that are into it are into it and if you catch it at the wrong moment is that you still only have one chance to get it perfect. Well, not just right, well, but I mean, no. It's, if you mess up, they'll do another take. But it's got to be a pretty severe mess up. I mean, people go up on their line sometimes, and they just they just do another take without cutting. It's just like no, no, they cut and they they'll cut, do another okay, take. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't want you to think that it's. It's, it's not like live, but it's. But here's the thing: <clears throat> last year at this time, we did shoot two live episodes, oh. and that was one take yeah that you couldn't mess up on right there was a five second delay we shot 
two versions, one for East Coast and one for West Coast, mm-hmm. and that was full theater in front of four million people. Live in two time zones. But they used wow. to shoot live every day. Right. So we're, th- I mean, and it was, it was a feat. It was amazing. The the crew, they brought in crew from other soaps and they brought, it was like But camera movement was feat. also almost nil in the early days of soap operas when they were shooting live. You know, when they were first shooting live soap operas, you know, the camera was pretty static and then you'd cut to another, these two gigantic cameras, you know, as they were on the day that, that everything was kind of like, you would rehearse your marks and where you were going to walk to and the camera movement wasn't such that they're following you like like they do on on soaps now mm-hmm. but um but that like you know you talk about seeing these performances and i'm wondering if and i'm not bagging on 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 the production team at all and obviously they just won an emmy but it's did they catch the vantage point you had like does the audience get to see the performance that you see in the room and that's the problem with shows that have a really fast production schedule that you know method acting was invented for film because you could break it down you could like I'm going to do this really this no, part I of think, it here I, and I cut. do think that the audience gets to see it and I think what you're I think what you're getting at is it's not lit like feature films right, right. because it's lit for fast moving production right and a lot of it's top lit and that's why films take so long is because they are lighting it to look like a painting every single scene yeah and so when they cut and they go to this other angle it's okay take down the set over here we're rebuilding this over here and go I tell you there's when high def first came out mm-hmm. a friend of mine got this amazing TV and he had it on the wrong setting and I so, did too right and so everything you, looked like a everything soap opera everything looked like a soap opera yeah I had to turn and all, you, everything down. And that's when I realized it's like it, it, these amazing performances. I think it was one of them was Raging Bull. And I'm yeah. watching De Niro and Scorsese. And it looked like a soap opera. Yeah. It didn't take away from the performance, but the way it looked was like a soap opera. So I talked you, about this with you, Mason, you, you know, like, Blade Runner. <clears throat> What's that? We, we 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 both did the same thing. We both watched. You know, I want to watch Blade Runner on my new high def TV, and it wasn't programmed in, and we just turned it off after ten minutes. Completely different. Not not in the same room. We mm-hmm. each did the same exact thing. And I was like, I can't show you this movie like this. This isn't what it looks like. Right. And yet, everybody is seeing these performances by incredibly gifted actors lit completely inappropriately for the level of performance that they're delivering in in a way. Well. I mean, it, it, Except it it's appropriate the for the genre. Yeah, that's the job. And and there's it's a it, it's an acquired viewing, mm. and I think that the audience members that have been watching it for years, they have adjusted their viewing to be able to appreciate it and right. look past it. Yeah. And not every everybody is pretty spoiled these days yeah. with amazing lighting and sound and where they can't hear the footsteps walking away because they take that away in post. Mm-hmm. This is raw. It's it's raw. I wonder what's going to happen when filters get inexpensive enough in post-production to be able to make those adjustments quickly. Yeah. That people are going to really start paying attention to soap operas again and being like, this is some of the best work we're seeing. I like... I'm gonna have to start taping this and watching it at night, you know, like because soap operas are on in the daytime. Yeah, I think it's possible. I do think it's possible, and the whole taping it now is a whole different thing. Yeah. It used we to just be said you... taping. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is already an obsolete term. Yeah, 
but even having it say on Hulu, yeah. you know, you you can now watch it at any time. Whereas before, you used to have to be home during the day. Who's yeah. home during the day? Yeah. And with binge watching, I mean, pff, it's a binge watcher's dream. Soap operas really are. Yeah, because you could watch, you know, a, a, a week. It's like five hours, and I mean, I've watched you know House of Cards every single season since season two in one night. There you like go. the entire series in one night and showing up at work looking like, you know, I just got and back from what, a bachelor And that's what, 13 episodes? Yeah, so it's 13, about 13 hours. See, that's two weeks for a soap opera. Yeah. And that's the thing, it's, there's that much production that goes yeah. into House of Cards and that's yeah. why it looks so amazing and yeah. that's, they have time to spread out. But I also think sometimes that time can cut into this creative instinct that, that sure. soap has. Momentum. It's a momentum for sure. Yeah, that you, you can definitely lose momentum when, when you once you leave a set. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've 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 seen things lose momentum after lunch. <laughs> you know, honestly. Yeah. And and after people review the footage, they're just like, guys, like guys, don't eat as much. Like you, your energy level is way down. You know, like here's 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 a soda. Here's you know a Red Bull. It's like we got to get this back up, and um and that it, on commercials. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's going to be like a 30 second, 60 second spot. And the amount of money that goes into a 30 second, 60 second spot, like you're talking about working on a commercial for two weeks. And um, certainly that doesn't happen anymore. But, um, you know, I, I remember working on several commercials in the early 90s that were three or four day shoots, maybe maybe with an additional wardrobe day. Mm-hmm. You know, and love in that golden time and, and studying the back of my, my contract and making sure they couldn't. You know, someone couldn't do anything creative in the back of it and crossing out stuff on the back of contracts. If you've learned nothing in this episode, learn to, if you are an actor, to look at the back of your contract and only sign them in the bathroom when there's nobody hovering over you so that you can adjust the back of it. I'm a big advocate of this. It saved me a lot of money. But, um, you know, we've talked about the soaps and we've talked about... um, the different experiences you've had working on different sets but um i also want to talk about your painting Mm -hmm. and which is how i i initially know you yeah and that's got to be two things i would think is that it's it's hard to balance two different creative outputs that um inevitably I won't, I won't say necessarily the thing that pays the bills will will get in the way of the thing that doesn't. It, it's really about what occupies more time. The dream for a lot of actors is to get a television series, but the anxiety of working on a soap opera means you never know if you're going to get killed. <laughs> and you, your same character has the exact same character has been killed twice on General Hospital after incredibly popular runs. You know, he talked about. <laughs> Should we wait? <laughs> I, I, maybe we do need to, you know, put our hands over our hearts Sorry. and not I, listen to the national Carlos? anthem. This is for Carlos. Jeff's character, Carlos, was killed off General Hospital twice on camera. Like, it was on-camera death. It wasn't like there was a car right. accident or you weren't seen or you disappeared. Or... Right. The first one uh, was on one of those live episodes. Oh, my gosh. And I was shot four times in the chest. Wow. On live television. Wow. Four or five bullets to the chest. Yeah, and I got to say, that was a very interesting weekend because yeah. um, we shot that episode on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And uh, the car- character who had been playing it for two years at that time dies. Yeah. That Sunday is when Mad Men aired. 
Oh my gosh. So it was this oh surreal yeah, yeah. sort of like death to life to new beginnings, new life, a yeah. new you. And I mean, it looked like I was in heaven. <laughs> and two huge things, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it is no, kind it of like a weird meta, meta thing that happens. So then, um, and then you get called back to General Hospital. Right. Which had to have been a surprise. The first one was a was a uh, delightful surprise but it wasn't like oh what's happening i was haunting the woman who had killed me right and, you know they do that in soaps occasionally that's and, right that's right and so that was amazing and those were I, that was with finola yeah. and some of those scenes again there were some of some of my favorite ones because uh, they were with um finola hughes and teresa castillo mm-hmm. and Teresa's character, who plays Sabrina, the, the Carlos's love, mm-hmm. was not supposed to be able to see the ghost. Only Finola could. Right. So there was this this choreography that was happening, and this intense focus on Finola's part not to acknowledge my presence. Right. And I'm whispering in her ear. I'm stroking her hair, kissing her on the forehead, just taunting her. That's a fun role. It was amazing. Yeah. It was so much fun. And so he. Ghost Carlos came back a few times. And the other times after that, there wasn't so much dialogue, a lot of lingering, like, did she see him? Right. Until one day I show up, and I'm going down to shoot, and I say, well, we need to put the ghost makeup on. I'm like, no, you're alive. So they just told you, no, you're alive now. Yeah. Oh, wow. I said, wait a minute. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I am. <laughs> and I said, yeah, no, you're alive. How? Uh, we'll get to uh, we'll that. Get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And that's it, a, that's a strange thing too, is because they do keep a lot of the plot line from the, the actors. actors. Yeah. Which is very interesting at times because you'll a lot of times you'll get a script and you'll are I I would think. Wait, no, Carlos would never say this. He wouldn't do this. He wouldn't act it out this way. He wouldn't he, he wouldn't be this way. And uh, this actor by the name of Jason Thompson was on the show at the time. Mm-hmm. And I went to him with one of these dilemmas. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this because I don't think this is how Carlos would act. Right. And he says, you know, this is a great opportunity to expand the complexities of the character and wow. in that Spoken one like sentence veteran, it yeah. was amazing i was just like got it got yeah. it these these are not black and white people because right. they are on so often and there's this life that is allowed to live and breathe and evolve and you do get to see just like any of us we are so incredibly complex and there's so many sides to us and who knows sometimes in given a certain circumstance or situation what we would do or what we're capable of doing and i think it's a great difference between episodic weekly television and you know daily uh, soap operas is that even if you're not the main focus of a scene, you're going to pop in and out pretty much every episode so that you're spending time with the audience, mm-hmm. that they're conscious of you, they're acknowledging you, they haven't forgotten about you. Right. You know, it's not like, you know, Game of Thrones came back on and there was, there's characters this season that weren't even addressed in the last season, yeah. some that haven't been addressed in a season and a half. Yeah. And, um... You know, after these long waits, you kind of forget, and then it's a reintroduction. And in soap operas, there's a constant familiarity with the characters because you're always seeing them. That's people let them into their homes. The thing about why television stars 
uh, to get to the dark side of things, why television stars often have more awkward encounters with fans than film actors is because the frequency of time they yeah. spend in people's homes. Yeah. And it's an invitation because you can change the channel. So it's, uh, whereas, you know, for you, the actor, it's, you don't have that, that, um, I guess the scope to be able to see what's happening on the other end of this exchange right. of, of talent and how much they have invested into in a certain do. character yeah. that it, you're not when you walk off the set. Right. What one of the really lovely things about that though is I did get a scope of it this past Friday when Carlos died. Yeah. And it was in the in the form the second of time. The, second the second time, time Carlos died, and it was in the form of the messages that came in through Twitter and Facebook, which people didn't have access to before. Yeah, and what was really cool about it was they weren't just acknowledging the the character; they were acknowledging the the performances yeah. and the the. So I think that the um, the savvy of the audience has grown. I think before there were probably a lot more uh, people who would get it all confused yeah. and think that these are real people. And real. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't seem to be the case these days. Hey, I'm, I'm, I was an actor at the time. And yeah. I used to see Larry Drake. I'm not saying it doesn't happen because right, right. there are people that think I'm Carlos. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I, I met Larry Drake at the Formosa. I used to live right around the corner from, from um, well, not only here, but before that I lived around the corner from the Formosa. And Larry Drake was a regular there. And I wound up sitting next to him at the bar and talking to him. And I was like, kind of, I'd seen him in Dark Man, so I knew that he wasn't, you know, the, um, the mentally challenged man from L.A. Law. But I complimented him on his performance by saying, you know, I'm. I'm. Con my mother is still convinced that they found, you know, a mentally challenged man to play wow. this yeah, character. That was an amazing role. And he won like three Emmys yeah, for it. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, he should have. But he fired back with one of the greatest lines I've ever heard from anybody, and he said, "Oh yeah, did she think the lawyers were real lawyers too?" <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't say it like a jerk. He yeah. just had like a really great yeah, way of saying great. it. And I know that some people. He just passed away recently as well, and and um. You know, he had, yeah, I think he had also cut his teeth on soap operas at a certain point. Um, but again, even that, you know, that's that was a weekly show. Mm -hmm. You know, that wasn't a daily show. Right. And um, but you mentioned, you know, social media and how how that plays a, a big difference. I think the big difference is that before someone had to write a letter, they had to right. put pen to paper to write something, which they still do. I'm sure they still Not do. Just they don't have to anymore. Right. But I think that that level of separation also used to weed out. Perhaps the crazier, aggressive, negative stuff right. that people that's, fire off immediately. That's online. reserved a lot of times for boards, like soap boards. Yeah. There's message boards. And when I first got on the soap, I made the tragic mistake of going on one of those oh, boards. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Never again. Sadomasochism <laughs> at its <laughs> finest. Jesus, Although I have you ever to want say, to see what you're made of? I know, right? <laughs> but I have go, to say, go read what Go read the news. Don't read the dailies. Yeah. But the... um. And, you know, Soap Opera Digest has, has been very supportive, though, too, like yeah. of your art career, too. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. You know, that um, when um, right after, I think half an hour after I had done my first studio visit, mm -hmm. um, when you live down the street here, um, I called a friend of mine and I said, I think I've got somebody that you need to show. And he said, that's perfect. I just 
an artist just dropped out, you, this is like a lifesaver. This is perfect. That's right. And so you got the the exhibition over at Hyena in Burbank, you yeah. know, right right near the NBC that next studios. Yeah. yeah. And um and I remember talking to one of the reporters from Soap Opera Digest. I, I think it was ABC Soaps in Depth. Right. There's two of them. That's that's right. But they both both these magazines have been incredibly supportive of my art career. Yeah, and I think that's fabulous. I mean, it's yeah, great. Yeah, they came out and did a story. Movie. Yeah. They came out and covered the event. Yeah. And, and since I've been on the soap, every art show that I've had, one of the magazines have covered. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that that's that speaks volumes to the fact that there is such a support for it, but that because people love what you've done in this medium mm-hmm. of extremely um, fast-paced environment acting in that and succeeding connecting with people that they're so interested in seeing what else that you do which is also a creative thing and I think is therefore tangentially related but that um, that there is such a separation too that obviously what what you're painting is of a different mind than the performing right and I think that what's great and and speaks to your versatility you talked about I get killed on Friday and then here I am playing this messianic you know personality (laughs) in the final episode of Mad Men on Sunday and then, you know, shortly after that, maybe two weeks later, did you start shooting um, the film that just got picked up by Oscillator? Oh, yeah. Uh, Lo- the Love Witch. Love Witch, yeah. yeah. By Anna Biller. Yeah, and I mean, the, uh, Oscillator is fantastic. They're you know, they've, incredible. They've picked, up, um, they picked up Mama, which is Penelope Cruz's um, reuniting with the director, um, um, Madame, who had directed her in um, Sex and Lucia, which is the film that really launched her in the United States as yeah. a foreign language film. Um, I think it's before Abre Sus Ojos, which was, um, you know, Open Your Eyes before it was remade with her in the same role she played, but then with Tom Cruise. Um, and so this is a, a good company to, to have in your corner in releasing an independent film. And when you shot me the um, the first trailer that um, that she had cut for it, yeah, I mean it's amazing. It's an incredible. It, film. It's got this really MGM musical like lush lighting, and it's got yeah. this kind shot of, on thirty five millimeter. It had to have been. Yeah, I mean, and it really. And there's a thirty five millimeter print now that that Oscillator uh, Oscillator plans on. Uh, they plan on showing it, it yeah. in theaters on from a film projector. Yeah, so that's going to be roadshowed. Yeah, so you'd be two weeks here, two weeks there. Yeah, because uh, I, having come from that side of the business for a while in the middle there, mm-hmm. very expensive yeah. striking prints and sending them out. I mean, it's a good problem to have because it means that you've expanded into another market. But the um, the look has got that kind of amazing. Valley of the Dolls, Absolutely. or uh, you know, Stepford Wives thing, but the sense of humor is so intact, and it's kind of madcap in the way that the early Woody Allen stuff was, you know, like Bananas, and yeah. you know, like the really early work mm-hmm. where it seems almost non sequitur, but it's so well planned out. It's been getting great reviews in the festivals. It's um, playing at, um, is it going to Con next week? Or N- no, it's no, um, but it's there's a there's New a York Los- Film Festival or something. Yeah, there's a. Um, Screening in Brooklyn. Let me see. I got it down here. There's a. Oh, he's, he's got his cheat sheet. Yeah, I got my cheat sheet out. There's it's a there's New a screen in L. A. That's happening. Oh, cool. um, let's see here. On 
June 11th at the Arrow. Saturday, oh, June 11th at the Arrow. And the Arrow, and then, of course, is the sister cinema of the American Cinematheque. Yes. So it's the the other Egyptian, basically, yeah. for people in Los Angeles and who, who are familiar with the work the American Cinematheque does. And that alone should send the message that this is, is quality filmmaking. It's definitely quality. I mean, Anna Biller is, she's a cinephile and a, such an auteur. She does so much in preparation for her films mm-hmm. and writing and I mean she she wrote it she directed it she produced it she made the costumes she there was um she wrote a scene for a rug a Wiccan uh uh, Moroccan hand woven rug that had it was supposed to have a pentagram and all these Wiccan symbols all around it that she saw in a book yeah obviously she couldn't find it anywhere so she made, made it one herself yeah yeah <laughs> DIY this, I mean this is the central tenant, tenant of this show is, is do it yourself yeah but I, you know why I think it's great to have you on as a guest and because you come from separate disciplines is that I think it's important for people to understand that these different areas of genre and of media communication are really very related. Absolutely. And a lot of a lot of people that um, have become genre favorites have, have coasted in out of soap operas and it has given them the chops to be able to succeed in what they've become known for because it's it's the harshest acting school of all time. It's Absolutely. like okay, here's your script for the next five days go learn this and we're gonna start on page one tomorrow yeah you know the funny thing was when I got cast in this people were saying things like oh it's like boot camp oh it's like acting school and I'm 20 years deep into it when I got cast so I'm yeah. like I've been through boot camp no <laughs> not I I had no idea and I can I can truthfully say that after 20 years of pretty consistent work mm-hmm. the three years that I've been on General Hospital has made me a far far better actor than yeah. I was when I started it's it's you have a chance to explore and well it gives you timing yeah I mean the, the hardest thing to teach and why you know it's timing yeah it's ti- exactly it's timing it's, it's timing that the um <laughs> the the most difficult thing that you see when you see a performance and you're like my god this is so natural this seems so great mm-hmm. Michael J Fox classic you know one of the best actors of comic timing in history yeah and um and you either have innately got that you know the five people in the history of the world who have had it mm-hmm. you know or you can learn it over time and you can see that on on film on cycle there's this sort of like embarrassingly you know that like um you look back at all these stuff and like ah oh, uh, unless you work with somebody who, unless it's an editing room performance and you're like oh saved by the editor but that as you grow as an actor as you grow as a performer as you grow as a painter as you grow a, you know, whatever it is that you're doing that practice makes perfect and right. you never get more practice as an actor than you get on soap operas exactly in front of a camera yeah because it's it's a mix between theater and mm-hmm. film because it, it these scenes breathe yeah and you don't have to do one or two lines and then stop and then reverse the cameras mm-hmm. and then get your get your mojo back up and they breathe like theater and they're filmed like film so right. you start to be able to if you watch your episodes some some people don't which it's it's baffling to me but in theater you're doing the same script every single day for the run right and this is like opening opera, night every single time you're shooting yeah it's a different script all the time yeah it's all fresh always and you and when it gives you a chance to develop the character and, and for you to develop that character for the audience but it also more importantly 
gives you these instinct chops yeah. that you start to be able to really become the performance. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and you can see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. There's not an eight hour walk away where you get to get back into, mm-hmm. oh, I can't get there right now. I'm going to have to go, you know, deep search and come back to the set, go shoot something else. It's like, uh, you've got eight minutes, maybe. Yeah. You know, and so it's. I, I thought it was a really important important point to drive home to the audience because I think that there are certain people spend a lot of time defending their own little fiefdom of of whatever it is that they do that other people that don't understand will tear apart. Right. And so I think that this kind of puts that final polish on at least another aspect of the world stage if you will absolutely we've talked about cosplay we've talked about role playing we've Mm -hmm. talked about these things that are generally had had been for a very long time generally looked down upon and i think what's interesting is that another multidisciplinarian and someone who i think people you know some people he drives them crazy some people love him and james franco james franco coasted in not a general hospital totally playing a meta version of himself he was gonna he he was gonna go two months and he loved it because he saw the challenge in it Mm -hmm. and he was on there for two years yeah as an already very successful actor yeah he was a movie star yeah he went from being a movie star to, to going in soaps because he 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 understood that it is like going to the gym it's like being in theater every day yeah and he oscar nominated at that point too um well i think that's a, a good place to talk about new projects like you mentioned that um before we started talking that um you've got your website up and that mm-hmm. um as with a lot of a lot of things websites go through changes but shout out an address because that's probably going to remain consistent yeah that will be it's uh jeffrey vincent mm-hmm. spell it out jeffrey j-e-f-f-r-e-y vincent v-i-n-c-e-n-t p-a-r-i-s-e dot com dot com mm-hmm. and right now it's it may be slow to load mm-hmm. i've just uh it's it's gotten some but you can go on there if you have a little patience and you'll be able to see it ton of paintings yeah there's there's some incredible work and it's i i'm almost positive that it's not something that people are going to expect and i think that's a great thing great you know that it expands you know in terms of of subject matter in terms of ability and and the whole kind of the whole enchilada if you will that it'll be a really pleasant surprise and people like oh wow this is this is very interesting you know and for a soap guy for a soap guy (laughs) you know and um then you have another movie coming out too after um love witch yeah uh bffs it's a amazing independent comedy that Mm -hmm. these these two ladies andrea grano and tara carissian wrote it star in it and they nailed it mm-hmm. and it's uh i play one of the, the, the they go to this uh healing retreat it's a comedy yeah and i play one of the couples in the retreat mm-hmm. it's and it's, it's just a lot of fun it's gonna come off on uh friday june 3rd and it's gonna be available on itunes amazon and on demand so after you watch bffs you can come stop by for in los angeles the la luz de jesus show which is going to be fantastic as well we've got uh four new shows that'll open that friday and um and you may have some work at the um art gathering la and um we'll see oh no i i think well i forgot that i was supposed to 
but uh, <laughs> I may have some work. work, have some work up there. So at Art <laughs> Gathering, Art perfect. Gathering LA at the uh, the Queen Mary, which is um, a new art fair, and it's put on by the guys that did Ink and Iron, which is um, a tattoo centric convention. And um, so look for his work there. There'll be some pieces by Sean Burke, who's been on the show. Um, Robert Craig, an amazing photorealistic painter. Howard Hallis, who's been on the show, will have pieces there. And um, there'll be kind of a little mini exhibition of the history of pop surrealism at the Luz de Jesus booth that will be um, there as well. And, um, yeah, I think um, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. It's, um, it's always it's great to be able to have people that are as busy as you are come in for our schedules to match up and for us to be able to do this um it's always been a challenge for um for mason and i to kind of get people into the time frame so we can get and record today we thought we had the studio and we kind of got bounced by um by somebody else so we had to record above the the comedy club and it got a little loud and it got a little crazy but like i say hey we got to listen to puddle's pity party and um and so i think it's a good place to end great so um I have been Matt Kennedy. This has been Pod Sequentialism. It is a production of La Luz de Jesus Gallery and Meltdown Comics and Collectibles. And um, as I'm always saying, you know, uh, go check out Loot Crate. Go check out Meltdown for your comics. And um, come back and listen to us again. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>